This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. It's Tuesday, so it's the big picture, which is sponsored by Investec Asset Management in Cape Town. And in Cape Town is Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management in London. Philip, we talk a lot about Trump and we talk a lot about Brexit. And when I read my newspaper this morning, I see the Brexit bandwagon rolls on with ever more incompetence. When I read the latest about Mr. Trump having a spat with some ex-Republican senator or soon to be ex-senator called Corker. It just becomes a sideshow. And it is a sideshow because the main event is going on at the moment. And when I read CNBC.com, it says the following, the People's Bank of China was likely attempting to provide overriding stability ahead of the 19th Communist Party Congress on October the 18th, one market watcher said, because they're talking about the strength of the yuan and it's flexing its muscles against the US dollar. But there's a bigger picture to it than that, because while the West has been fiddling, China has been getting on with its business in its own very special way. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I think that the sort of, you know, the Western perspective on China focuses very heavily on debt. And clearly, the levels of debt are pretty massive uh, under the sort of previous pre-Xi regime. But this clouds the issue. So, you know, the sort of typical sort of Houston hedge fund view is that, you know, China is an accident waiting to happen they're sort of using ersatz policies to stimulate growth that are not sustainable. And the whole thing is is going to fall over shortly with obviously significant ramifications around the world. And it's quite interesting that recently the sort of legendary short, well, he's not actually short in person, but uh, macro hedge fund manager Mark Hart closed his short positions on the Renimbi and booked a loss of $240 million dollars. So, you know, this has not exactly been a particularly sort of winning strategy. So I think we've got to look at China again. And the 19th Party Congress is a good opportunity to do that next week. We will see, presumably, that President Xi has consolidated his power. We'll also see who's moving up, which is going to give us some important clues. But by and large, a picture is emerging, which I think is quite impressive. So in the past, they tended to pull the demand lever. And uh, when growth slowed too much, they pump more money into the economy. So they loosened monetary policy aggressively and they uh, you know, invested more in infrastructure, but progressively sort of building up debt. Now, I think we've got a lot of evidence that demand management is becoming much more subtle. And they're really beginning to address some of the issues on the supply side and the consolidation in the mining sector, for example, consolidation in steel. So, you know, the picture is one of an, an emerging new paradigm where you use supply side change in order to actually deleverage, I depend less on the credit impulse, and you let your new economy rip, you know, things like robotics, clean energy, and there's clearly the potential for China to become the sort of leading provider of new energy, clean energy solutions. The growth of the use of electro- electric vehicles is um, that's beginning to take off in China. I noticed that a Chinese uh, battery manufacturer was up 70%. You know, it's a listed company in Shenzhen, based in Shenzhen. Yeah. And we hear all about Tesla sort of factory and so forth producing batteries. This is a lot bigger. This is a much bigger thing. So I think that the picture in China, it's not perfect. They have problems. But by and large, they've got a progressive approach and they're really addressing those problems. Quite unlike what we're seeing in Europe 
and also in the U.S., it's all about yesterday's you know, reinforcing yesterday's industries. Yes. You know, the, the, the sort of you know when when America was great. So it's this sort of forward-looking China, backward-looking uh, Europe and the U.S. And I think it's a very stark contrast. Yes, it is indeed. Your short hedge fund manager, the one that was short of the yuan, would be happy this morning because the People's Bank of China has fixed the official midpoint against the US dollar at 6.6273 per dollar, firmer than Monday's fixing of 6.6493 per dollar. Doing it in a gradual way doesn't sound like a lot and isn't a lot, but it's a 0.2% move in a market that is absolutely huge and is also very, very important. And while, of course, the United States protects those old industries, those fossil fuel industries, those car manufacturing industries that employ a lot of people and try and protect them. What the Chinese people are doing, and it's evidenced by the bank governor, the central bank governor, whose name is Zhu Zhuoshuan, he said in an interview with financial magazine Kai Jing that the country must press on with a trinity of reforms, not looking back, but reforming things that include, number one, free trade and investment, letting the market decide the yuan's value, and doing away with with capital account controls. Now, this is a sharp departure from years gone by and a sharp departure from the conventional wisdom of, for example, Western fund managers. Well, exactly. So it's a sort of bizarre combination that we can't really sort of entirely understand of uh, a sort of something that's actually politically fairly repressive, but is economically progressive. And combine that with the energy and entrepreneurial talent of a very large population. It's a pretty powerful combination. Recently, for example, just a small example, you know, I've used WhatsApp and I've just started to have a look at the Tencent equivalent, WeChat. Yes. WeChat is much more advanced than WhatsApp. You know, it's just much better. And so it's not about China sort of catching up. It's actually China overtaking in a whole host of things. And I think we're going to see more of that. So I think that clearly the overall rate of growth is going to moderate in China. They can't sort of run it at sort of 10%. That's ludicrous. So we're going to see a lower but more sustainable rate of growth. And the complexion of that growth is going to is clearly shifting away from the old smokestack industries, you know, and towards uh, the consumer economy and technology. And they might just do it or they might just do it enough. And that's very, very important for this economic cycle because investor fears was that China, this was going to be a sugar rush and China was going to grow rapidly and it was going to sort of fade away again. And I think it might be a lot more enduring than that. And if that is the case, then this cycle is going to be one of the longest in history. Yes, indeed. Ahead of this 19th People's Congress, Ning Zizei, who is the head of the National Bureau of Statistics of China, has reportedly said that the country will have no problem, no problem at all, meeting or beating its growth target of around 6.5% this year. He also said measures to cool the property market have been effective and will remain in place. So that's the one fear that the West had. And there's so much speculation. The middle classes go from trading copper to buying property in cities that don't have any people. They've got museums and art galleries, but no people but clearly that has been an exaggeration and it was a nice little movie clip for CNBC and Bloomberg and other TV stations to see these empty streets but behind the scenes of course there is a different story now this begs the question how does one take advantage of this the stock market was closed for a week last week for an annual holiday and it opened up at a multi-month high how do you take advantage of it sitting in London at Investec Asset Management well, I think that we think that I mean, we've been buying resource stocks and having been pretty negative about the sector for some time. 
And, you know, again, basically that historically the way to play China has been to play proxies. Right? Latin America, you made much more money being long Latin America in the sort of go-go periods than you, than you made from actually owning Chinese assets. It was sort of profitless growth in China. So if you were a sort of an oligarch or well-connected with the party, you made lots of money. But if you're a Western investor trying to make money investing directly in Chinese assets, good luck to you. Very few did that. I think interestingly, West investors have pretty light exposure to Chinese equities at the moment. It's one of the least liked parts of the emerging market firmament, although that's changing a bit. Where they have got exposure, it's to the likes of Tencent and the sort of digital leaders. But I think that selectively old China is a place where valuations are cheap, like the banks, for example, and where investors you know, are too pessimistically positioned at the moment. I think also the knock-on effects in Asia are going to be quite powerful. And increasingly, if you look at trade flows, you know, actually the level of dependence on U.S. growth is diminishing pretty rapidly. So I think that certainly in North Asia, a continuing Chinese growth dynamic is going to be very supportive. We also like Japanese equities. And actually, the Japanese export data is timely and accurate. And you get a very good barometer of uh, what's happening in China, looking at those numbers. And again, it looks pretty healthy. And of course, there's a sort of enormous influx of Chinese tourists into Japan. So Japanese equities, again, unloved. The yen, very unloved. Again, a beneficiary of improving growth dynamic in Asia. So there are a number of different ways to, to play this thing. Very good. Just finally, um, this article that I've been reading throughout this interview concludes the following. Better economic prospects and the opening up of China will certainly attract inflows into the Asian giant, which could prop up the yuan further. And that's according to the CIBC's foreign exchange strategist. Demand and thus appreciation of the yuan should be the least of surprises, he says. So you like China, you like Japan, and despite the fact that the Europe seems to be ticking along quite nicely, you would prefer those two regions over Europe. Yeah, I think so. And I think that Europe, obviously, the currency has strengthened. That's, that's put a bit of a dampener on equity markets. We had a period when we thought that populism was receding and that Macron was going to wonderfully transform everything. Sure, there is a sort of cyclical rebound going on in Europe and you know, Germany is obviously benefiting from this sort of increased export demand. But there are, you know, there are a lot of cracks. So there will be 100 far-right MPs in the German parliament as a result of the election. You've seen what's happening in Catalonia, in Spain. So I think that, again, Europe is internally focused on its problems and we're not seeing you know, much in the way of liberalization and deregulation to improve the supply side on the economic front. They don't have a plan at all. It's basically kicking the can, various cans down the road, uh, relying on yet more QE. And I think although I can see a number of European companies that effectively trade internationally and that attractively valued on a relative basis, Europe as a region doesn't really excite me that much. Philip, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. That's Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management in London. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.